Welcome to Season 2 of The Straight and Marrow, a podcast that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare professionals, patients and carers, with current evidence to keep it straight. The Straight and Marrow is sponsored by Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation. Arrow's mission is to improve the survival and quality of life for bone marrow transplant patients and to provide support for carers. All right. So All right. the next number three on number, your list Number there, three Ash on Finch. my list. Okay, so medications. So whilst medications may differ from centre to centre, I think broadly there are a couple of medications that we I, – I grouped them into three main groups. So the first is – um, whilst infections are a big problem in this first 100 days, there are medications that we use to try and prevent infections from occurring. So the, the first big bucket of medications that you'll be on are those to prevent infections. The other bucket of medications that you'll be on are those to prevent graft-versus-host disease. And then the last bucket of medications, which I think are an important bucket, are just medications to try and get you through all the potential symptoms that you might be experiencing. So so very commonly, some of those might be... So nausea is, is definitely a massive, massive problem, mainly because it's, nausea stops you from taking any other medication, but it also stops you from eating food, which is really important um, to keep up your nutrition. Um, so uh, I, I call those, those miscellaneous medications kind of medications to make you feel better and manage all the other complications of the the medications that you're on. So medications to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> medications for medications. Supportive medications. Yeah, supportive medications. That's right. That's right. That's probably a better way to talk about it. So just briefly, uh, the preventative medications, we we use a couple of different ones. I'll give you some examples, but it, again, it does vary from centre to centre. So we, we'll commonly put people on something called posiconazole, which prevents fungal infections. And we'll also use valacyclovir, which prevents um, herpes virus infections. We, we've been using quite high doses of valacyclovir as a preventative medication for CMV, but that's not done at certain other centres. And, and, it, and CMV prevention is also different um, yeah, from country to country, and especially uh, now that there's a new medication called latemivir, which um, some centres in the US are using to prevent uh, CMV, but unfortunately isn't funded locally at least. So there's another infection called toxoplasmosis um, which and, and also PJP, uh, which we use Bactrim um, to try and prevent any, any kind of toxoplasmosis or PJP infections in the first um, 100 days. Many patients ask, when do they need to take these preventative medications for? Like, you know, how long yeah. they need to be on it? So just broadly speaking, the posiconazole, once you're off any treatment for the graft-versus-host disease and you have a normal neutrophil count, we'll try and remove that medication. PJP and the valacyclovir, we like to keep going for a bit longer. So it can be up to kind of 12 months post-transplant. So you mean the Bactrim? And the sorry, sorry, yeah, the Bactrim, Bactrim. and the and the the valacyclovir. Mm. So, but again, uh, like we mentioned at the start of the podcast, all of these things are a moving target. If you're on additional medications for graft versus host disease, 
we, we'll probably keep those going because the last thing we want you to have is an inve- infection that we could have prevented with, with these other medications um, earlier on. Probably the one in particular that people have the most trouble with, the bucket of medications that I, that I described, medications to prevent graft-versus-host disease. So depending on the type of transplant you've had, these preventative medications can differ. Uh, so occasionally people will be on cyclosporin as their only medication. Some patients might be on mycophenolate and tacrolimus, um, a combination of the two. We find people have a lot of trouble with cyclosporin in particular because you're on quite heavy doses of it coming out of transplantation. There are a couple of side effects that we experience quite commonly. Uh, Nausea is definitely one of them. Um, That's a manifestation that you, you may experience. And the other things that it can affect, cyclosporin can affect your kidneys. So that's part of the reason why we do frequent blood tests to monitor how your kidney function is going. It can also cause high blood pressure, so uh, we, we'll frequently monitor your blood pressure when you come in. And fundamentally, we're trying to decide whether we can manage any of the side effects of um, cyclosporin or we may need to reduce your dose. And so often we'll, we'll monitor your cyclosporin levels. Cyclosporin also causes very low magnesium and what you may experience from a low magnesium is kind of irritability with your muscles, so muscle twitching, lethargy, I'm so sorry, feeling fatigued and tired. And we might need to top up your magnesium to try and kind of offset the low magnesium that cyclosporin is causing there. With the other medications, mycophenolate, tacrolimus, tacrolimus has a similar kind of side effect profile to cyclosporin. Mycophenolate, most people are off it kind of by day 40. I think that's our, our usual protocol. But things that people might experience with mycophenolate is unfortunately it can cause some diarrhea. So yeah. sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's mm. related to the medication or, or graft versus host disease. And it can reduce your blood counts as well. So sometimes if we see a reduction in your blood counts, we might bring off the mycophenolate a bit earlier and see whether that improves the, the situation. And well, obviously yeah. all of those things suppress your immune system. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, that's... Increasing yeah. risk of infection there that's right. by the relationship between risk of infection just because people's uh, immune system is low because right. it is recovering after the transplant. Correct, yeah. With the added impact of preventative medication for graft versus host disease. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So the last bucket of medication, like I mentioned before, is what Ming appropriately called supportive care. So we've got a whole host of tools in our belt to manage nausea. So there's quite a lot of medications. These can include cyclozine, ondansetron, metoclopramide. Nausea is a very, in my experience, it's, it's... one of the most difficult symptoms to manage mainly because we want you to feel better. It's terrible feeling nauseated all the time. Mm-hmm. But everyone's, in, everyone's experience of nausea is quite individual and the combination of medications required to treat your nausea is, is also quite... It requires a little bit of tweaking and, mm-hmm. and may take a couple of days to try and get on top of. But the most important thing we want to emphasise to all of you is it's an ongoing struggle, so you, you have to let us know what's working and what's not, and you really need to find your voice. If you find that what we're doing is not really helping your nausea, that's not really acceptable. We need to kind of try and manage 
those things together. And so that's an ongoing kind of uphill struggle. Definitely once you're off, and like I said, cyclosporin is one of the biggest culprits for this. Once you're off cyclosporin, you'll find you'll, you'll generally feel a lot better and, and your nausea will, will, will improve. Nausea takes a multidisciplinary approach yeah, as that's well, right. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, it can mean by having a conversation with your healthcare team, it means that we can refer you also to see a dietitian yeah. who can give you advice about, you know, what to eat and how to eat yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it right. can, you know, really be beneficial having different opinions about how to manage nausea yeah. as well as using medication. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. And it is not uncommon for patients to have anticipatory nausea, yeah. which, yeah. you know, they might be beneficial by seeing a psychologist Great yeah. for, for, yeah. for strategies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it has a very strong psychological overlay. Like the example I give is I get quite seasick and even if I'm on a boat that's not rocking, I feel nauseated. It's, uh, that's, yeah. that's the anticipatory mm. But um, it makes nausea. sense. Yeah, like yeah. If you know that the psychosporin is making you nauseated yeah. and you see the psychosporin tablet in its little gold foil packet, yeah. it makes sense that, that might make you feel Correct. nauseated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. patients do talk about that, don't they? But it's also really important for us to hear because it influences our approach to managing nausea. That's right. That's because right. yeah. different anti-nausea medication, if we're thinking about just the, the medication approach, work in different ways. That's right. So our decisions yeah. around what we suggest will be influenced by the conversations we have with our patients. Absolutely. Yeah. And then bringing in other professionals like Ming mentioned, psychology yeah. and someone from nutrition to help support people. That's right. Um, yeah. Helps to complete that that terrible puzzle of nausea. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. I suppose this fits more into graft versus host disease, but we haven't discussed the P word, prednisolone. Oh, prednisolone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so prednisolone, it's, it's not routine that you'll be on it after transplant. I think at least at our centre, some of our transplants, we do use prednisolone at least for up to day 40 or so. Prednisolone, it's a very good drug for graft-versus-host disease, but it's a very bad drug in that it has a lot of side effects. So things that people kind of notice are it does increase your appetite. So you will you will notice that you're eating more while you're on prednisolone. It is very disruptive to sleep, so we tend to recommend people take it at the start of the day rather than at the end. Which mimics people's natural cortisol that's levels right. as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, the that's other motivation. Yeah. 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 And of course, it because it treats graft-versus-host disease, it, it can suppress your immune system. So people who haven't had trouble with the viruses that I kind of spoke about will notice that once we put you on prednisolone, there may be an increase in your CMV level or EBV level um, requiring treatment as well, so that that's a couple of things to watch out if if you ever um, uh, get started on prednisolone for for the treatment of graft-versus-host disease. The last thing I'll talk about it's it's kind of a it's a complicated discussion and obviously one that as patients you'll have the most anxiety about going forward, and that's relapse relapse of the initial disease or the indication of your your transplant. 
We have a couple of ways that we monitor for relapse at our own institution, and that's usually through a bone marrow biopsy if your disease affected your bone marrow at that stage. And some patients might have a PET scan, and that's done at different time points. It can be day one. We're, some places do assessments at day 100. Some places do assessments a little bit earlier. With the bone marrow, we'll be looking for any signs that the condition is coming back. And there can be different tests of varying sensitivities, which I won't go into a lot of detail there, but that's generally the broad ways that we'll monitor for relapse. Also, if we have any unexplained changes in your blood counts, that may be a signal for us to do a bone marrow at a different time point than what we would normally do. So maybe a little bit earlier, if we find that your platelet count's dropping quite precipitously, we may do a bone marrow biopsy a little bit earlier to work out what may be the potential cause of that as well. Mm. I kind of think of the platelets as a canary in the coal mine sometimes. Yeah. If something's yeah. going on yeah. in the body from an inflammatory perspective. That's right, yeah. So there may be other potential causes, but, I mean, one thing just to get a definitive reason, we, we might just do an early bone marrow biopsy to work out what the exact cause of that drop might be. And the other tests you were talking about, they were chimerisms. Yeah, they? sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we've, so, we've, we have got an entire episode on chimerisms. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, so chimerism is one of those things that we do routinely at certain time points just to see how well you've engrafted and, and also it can be a surrogate marker for potential disease relapse mm. as well. When you say, you know, it's a moving target, yeah. I think that's important because sometimes people can really think of day 100 as a date. Yeah. You know, the yeah. second of March, but I kind of view day 100 as a concept yes. of, yeah, of yeah. you know, that we are working towards all the time and people might reach that at day 80 or they might reach that at day 150. Yeah. But what does day 100 look like to you? Day 100, more of a concept rather than a hard, like... Hard stop. Stop, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and just because things aren't as we hoped at day 100 doesn't mean the rest of your transplant is going to be... It, it doesn't impact negatively on the rest of your transplant is what, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So ideally, I think we'd like to get to a situation where you're off a lot of your medications, you're not coming in as frequently and not seeing us in hospital as frequently as, as you were within the day 30 to day 100. I think that's a good achievable goal and it may not happen at day 100. I think realistically... And that that's that, okay. And that's okay. And that yeah. that's okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, day, day yeah. 100 for those of us of a, of a certain um, seniority <laughs> will, um, you know, it is an historical figure. Yeah, yeah. When transplantation looked a lot different yes. to what it yeah, looks yeah. like now. Yeah. And I think you're right. We need to reassure people that it really is very, um, although it's, a, a, you know, kind of semi-helpful, it, it, it doesn't mean that you haven't done as well as somebody else. That's right, yeah. If yeah. at day 100 you're still coming in two or three times a week and needing nursing and medical assessments right. or still yeah. on immunosuppression yeah. or anti-infective yeah. medication, that that's okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And yeah. it's because every transplant really is unique. You know, we've never put that immune system inside that that body before. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, easier said than done, but try not to compare yourself. Exactly. And, you know, that's, I suppose, the... the 
the nuts and bolts of transplant is that we, we cannot predict what is going to happen after transplant. We can't tell you all the complications that's going to happen to you after transplant. We can only you know, tell you what could happen, um, but any little complication could you know, make things a little bit longer, but not necessarily making you know, the transplant not successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's agree. a rough guide. Yeah, it's a rough yeah. guide. Yeah. 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 Just going into some broad comments of the day 30 to day 100, the one thing that I just want to reassure everyone is even though we've discharged you from hospital, it's very likely that you might come back. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the unfortunate realities um, and you're most likely to come back with a fever. Yeah. Again, don't read into it too much. It is a setback most likely we'll keep you in for a couple of days and if everything settles down with antibiotics, we'll discharge you and things can keep going as they have been whilst you've been out of hospital. But I guess I know it's kind of like not a re- – it's not reassuring, but it is reassuring that if you do – It's more common than not. Yeah, it's more common than not Don't be disheartened. Yeah, don't be disheartened to come back. It's not a step – you know, it's not a step back. It's a yeah. just step to the side. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's and right. more often so, than not, it's a short stay. And, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 And then the other thing I wanted to mention is what we mentioned previously is the day 100. It's more kind of a, it's a historic landmark, but it's not the be all end all in the kind of progression of your transplant as a whole. It's, it's very helpful to kind of think of your transplant as a endeavour that's setting you up for the rest of your life rather than mm. the, the, the first 100 days. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. that was in depth, but that was good. Really good. And look, just to just to summarise, I'm, and there are so many different overlays within the four things that you've presented today, Ashvin. So you know, obviously, you've presented on infection, graft versus host disease, relapse, and medication management in that first period after discharge where it's the kind of acute period post-transplant. What do you think is the importance of the multidisciplinary team at that particular time point? Yeah, I think it's really critical. I'm sort of of the church of you guys that's saying multidisciplinary care is the best way to deliver allo transplant care so that includes haematologists, nurses, um, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, um, and potentially any other allied health. Physio. Physio. Yeah. 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 Nutrition, so, psychology. So, Absolutely. Social yeah. work. Yeah. And I think it's really critical that everyone brings their own perspectives and experiences to influence the direction of care. From a nuts and bolts point of view, you know, I, I, I'm a haematologist. I speak from the experience of the haematologist. We kind of manage all the, I guess, the the medical side of things. As nursing staff, you have some role in managing the medical side of things, but also you tend to have more patient contact than we do. I think that's mm. fair to say in yeah. terms of hours and stuff like that. So you, you kind of establish that emotional relationship and you can let us know if there's potential psychological red flags in terms of how patients are are going and whether there's more support that can be provided. Yeah. Um, you and because patients aren't doing this in isolation, you know, they're doing it with the carer support network yeah, around and them. That's, yeah, and yeah. and a lot of a lot of that of the multidisciplinary team is to support people as a whole unit. Yeah. 
I think that's something that I've had to learn potentially not just taking the patient's word for how well they're going. And often I think a lot of you out there will put up a brave face because you think that that's what I would like to see. Yeah. But we really need to know if something's not quite right happening. And often if you're not going to tell us your next of kin or the person looking after you will let your nurse know or the nurse practitioner know mm. and then they'll let us know that something kind of needs to change and needs to be done. So maybe on like a final note I'd say it's um, it's a team. It's the patient, it's right. their carer, it's their family, right. it's so your doctors, part of the team as it's well. your nurses, yeah. your physios, your second cousin, social work. Yes. We're yeah, a team yeah. getting yeah. you through to day one hundred and beyond. Absolutely. What a good way to end this fantastic podcast recording. Thanks, Ashvin, for coming back for a second. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ashvin. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we have. Just a reminder that although our straight and married team are experienced healthcare professionals, we are unable to give individual medical advice. If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates. And for more information about Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation, go to arrow.org.au.